full circle. Full circle. Hi, I'm Miss Wanda, and this is Full Circle. Girlfriend, this is a place where you and I can connect. It's the show that embraces a 360-degree look at womanhood. It's our voice, our perspective. It's what we care about, and it's how we feel. Empowerment through conversation is what it is. This is Full Circle. Welcome to another edition of Full Circle. I am your host, Miss Wanda. I am so excited for today's show. I first met today's guest not a month or so. We met at Dr. Tia's Be Love Holistic. They had a self-love Saturday event that was phenomenal. And I just was like, I already knew she was going to be on the show because I had talked to her earlier, but seeing her in action was just like, she is so dope. And you know, nothing but dopeness on this on this show. So I was so excited when she said yes to being here this morning. I'm only going to read a little bit about her, and then I'm going to let her introduce herself to the Full Circle family. So let me tell you about today's guest, Tony McNeil. She was born and raised in Stockton, California, and just this week... She was recognized as one of the women making Stockton better. What a huge honor. That is so dope. We're going to talk about all of that. But I want to read this quote that I took off of her website because when you hear this, you will be intrigued and you will want to stay and listen to the whole show. So when I looked at was doing my homework about Miss Tony, this quote just stuck out to me. And it says, I was raised, trained, cultivated, developed and well kept by the concrete. I was a young girl rolling with the OGs. I represent the passenger side of the car. I'm the ride or die, the confidant, the keeper of secrets, the holding place, and the well-known friend to the friend of the friend. That right there is a whole, that's a whole show within itself. Miss <laughs> Tony, thank you so much for being here today. Welcome to Full Circle. Thank you, and thank you for having me. I am so excited for you to be here. We're going to unpack that because uh, we need to find out exactly what the friend to the friend, the, the ride or die, the rolling with the concrete, what that means, and we'll, we'll fold it all into the next couple of hours. So first of all, introduce yourself to the Full Circle family, please. Um, well, I am, as you said, Tony McNeil. Um, I am a, by trade, I am a community organizer. By call, I am a community organizer. By mandate of God, I am a community organizer. I just realized that, um, gosh, over the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. I am an ordained elder. Um, I am a mother of four beautiful, amazing treasures, jewels, and stars mm -hmm. that have kept my life um, aligned um, and purposeful and meaningful. Um, I am a, a, a single woman. I am a black woman. Um, I am 53 years um, this month. Um, All right. Yes, and um, I'm a native of Stockton, born and raised. I haven't lived anywhere else. Mm -hmm. um, traveled to some places, but 
yeah, haven't relocated or anything. Stockton's always called you back home, huh? You know, I, it actually, I didn't realize how much I love Stockton until mm-hmm. I started organizing. I love Stockton. Stockton, mm-hmm. they used to have this sign, this billboard that said Stockton, someplace special mm-hmm. in the hood, right? Mm-hmm. So in the thick of the hood, they had this big old billboard uh-huh. up. Um, that's a whole nother lane in itself. But yeah, Stockton is someplace special. Um, Stocktonians are something special. Yeah. yeah. Just hearing you say that and the pride you have about Stockton, because, you know, there's this, you know, it's kind of like I, I was born and raised in Meadowview, South Sac all day. And when when you hear people on the news go South Sacramento, mm-hmm. it's this this immediate connotation. Right. Yeah. Same thing with Stockton. It's like, oh, my gosh, Stockton. I don't even want to drive through. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. People say those things. What makes you have such a love and affinity for Stockton? Well, you know, um, what is it? What, what is that quote where they say, can anything good come out of, is it Nazareth? Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know that yeah, one. It, it's a, it, it's a, a quote that they would, they, they would say centered around the Bible, right? Uh-huh. You know, so good things and good people come out of Stockton. Um, I have hope. In, in my city, I live in my city. It's mm-hmm. it's different when you live there. Folks on the outside can look in, you know, and see a thing, and they don't see any fruit. They don't see any purpose. They don't see, you know, any any treasures. Um, but yeah, there's some treasures in Stockton, and and it is a very purposeful place. It, it there is some amazing people and amazing work that is done in Stockton. Stockton is someplace special. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about your 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 growing up years. Like tell <laughs> us about who makes Tony McNeil the woman that you are today. I think that um I one of the things that I do is I ask people every now and again, who do you bring in this space with you? Hmm. So when I come into this space today, sitting here with you, Miss Wanda, um, I have Ruth McNeil with me, my grandma, my grandma Ruth, you know, um, and my granddaddy, Ollie McNeil. I have him with me. Um, I can feel their spirit. I can feel their prayers. I can feel their strength, you know, with me from um, Boss Tracks, you know, mm-hmm. first home that I've ever seen a black family own because those were my grandparents. Um, that came from the deep south, you know, during the second migration. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I just, I bring boss tracks with me, um, just watching the chickens and stuff, you know, in the backyard Mm -hmm. and and all of the fruit trees grow, and I bring that with me. So I'm bringing all of these treasures with me from Stockton. Um, I watched them, you know, as I was growing up. I've seen some things over these. I've seen some things, sis. I've, Mm -hmm. I've seen some rises and some falls. Um, in my family, you know, in my neighborhood. So it's it's a lot of history yeah. that I bring in this space when I come in. It's yeah. a lot. You sound like you had a really close, did your grandparents raise you, like a really close relationship with them? Um, they didn't raise me, but, but it takes a village. So um, I was always, you know, in the care of my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother and father, they, um, and it's, it's two of us, myself and my brother. Um, it was a very tumultuous, I had a very tumultuous childhood, mm-hmm. and there was a lot going on. Um, I was born in 69, so, you know, this I want you to know, it was yeah. a lot that was going on yeah. in the neighborhood uh-huh. and in the house. My grandparents, um, they were my refuge. They were my safe place. My grandma um, my, my granddaddy, I would sit on, next to him or sit on his lap. He died when I was five. Mm-hmm. I remember the sound of his voice. 
um, he had he had throat cancer. Um, and so when he spoke to me, his voice sounded very high-pitched, and he'd speak to me in almost a whisper. Mm-hmm. But I remember the sound of his voice. I remember the love and the tenderness um, and the care. Um, I remember what he sounded like, I, wow. what he smelled like, um, his height, his stature. So for me, that relationship represented covering. I, I remember what it felt like to be covered by a man that kept me safe and protected mm-hmm. me. Um, and I've always sought that out, sis. I've been seeking that covering all the days of my life since I was five and my granddaddy died. That's so interesting how, first of all, the impact of your grandfather was so strong that even at now 53, yes. the memory of him, the thought of him, the smell of him, his mannerisms, yes. everything is still so ingrained in your mm-hmm. soul. Yes. And it's interesting when you say you felt covered yeah. by him. I felt safe. You felt safe. And when he was gone at five, you knew that you were no longer covered. covered. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It, it, for a woman, it is. And for a little girl, yes, it is. It's amazing that that we as women, as little girls in our youth, mm-hmm. that we can identify um, shelter, that we can associate, you know, protection and safety and, and love um, in the sound of a voice, in, in the touch of a person, um, just in an environment, in a smell. We can carry that. And I think that as women, um, and even young men, but I, I, I'm not a man, so mm-hmm. I can't speak for a man. Mm-hmm. But as a woman, I can say that having sat with myself long enough, that I've been seeking something that I lost mm. at five years old. That is so powerful. That right there. And to be aware of the fact that that was a void that was created in you at five, Mm -hmm. that at 53, still trying to fill. Yes. What was the difference in the relationship, though? Because you grew up with your father. Mm -hmm. So what was the difference, you know, how how come you didn't feel covered with your father? It was. um, And and so first, let me let me kind of do this. my father and I, so I'm going to unpack. Okay. I got my tissue right yes, here. Yes, tears are welcome. Ooh, I'm going to unpack some of the um, trauma um, that that I went through. Um, and as I unpack it, I wanted to make sure that I also start by anchoring myself. Okay. Where it is that I'm going to go now I'm not there today. Okay. That's not who I am today. Mm-hmm. And that's not, and it doesn't describe my relationships today. God has brought some healing and stability. So today, um, my daddy covers me. My okay. daddy is so close in my life. My daddy reminds me of my granddaddy. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there's been so much healing and restoration in mm-hmm. our relationship. Um, so much repair, and I admire and esteem him so much mm-hmm. for the man that he is and the journey that even he has taken in his life. Yeah. And I want to make sure that I anchor that because as I go back, I have to have my anchor yeah. so that I don't get lost in drift. Yeah. So um, my father, as an only child uh, raised by my grandparents, um, 
grew up during a time where, of course, drugs flooded our community, um, flooded our community. And so I didn't know as a child that there was a lot of drug use mm -hmm. and drug activity that was impacting the behaviors that I was seeing um, displayed in my home. I grew up in a home where there was a lot of violence, a lot of arguing, so domestic violence was high in my home um, once a week um, at minimum. Mm -hmm. um, there was fighting, there was, I could hear my mother being beat, I could hear the cries. Um, as a child, I was trying to rationalize and reason mm -hmm. the arguing, you know, and so if, well, she shouldn't have said that, she shouldn't have done that, you know, and so I, there was a lot of judgment and yeah. a lot of criticism and critiquing um, about things that were taking place. And so my grandparents helped to um, ground me, they helped to cover me from that, but my grandmother was the only one that could, in a sense, keep my father and his explosive, mm. you know, rage. She was the only one that seems to be able to settle that. Mm -hmm. And she died when I was 10 or 11 years old. So I still had her, you yeah. know. Um, but they were the ones that, that it, they just, with all of the craziness that was going on from my mother's side of the family and inside my home, my grandparents, they just, there was something that was stable. Um, they loved the Lord, you know. Mm -hmm. um, they were very, they, Deacon Mac, you know, mm -hmm. and she was a deaconess. And so they, they introduced me to the Lord. They introduced me, mm -mm, they introduced me to the church. Mm -hmm. They introduced me to that's, the church. That's a big to the church, yeah. yes. Um, and so um, they, they, I saw that. I saw my grandma's love for the church, love for the people in the church. And and they prayed for me and laid hands on me and, and prayed over me and, mm -hmm. and cradled me and nurtured me and, and poured into me. So who I am today as a woman of God, mm -hmm. those are deposits that came from them. Okay. Okay. I know. So many, <laughs> so many things. It's, it, it still happens today, too, and it happens in families where... You said your grandmother was the only one that could. There, it seems like there's always that one person that can be the stabilizer mm. in a world of chaos. Yes. So you had your covering. At at five, you lost your grandfather, where you started feeling unprotected. But you still had your grandmother. Mm -hmm. At ten or eleven, you lost her. Mm -hmm. What was life like for you? Oh, Miss Wanda. So I haven't had these conversations because I have, you know, um, when I lost my grandmother, so one is that things were a blur. Um, there was so much trauma and so much trauma to unpack that some things, um, you just tuck away, you know, and, yeah. and you don't remember unless you like really intentionally pull it up. And some things I feel like God just covers you from because yeah. of the trauma until you're ready. Um, when my grandmother passed away, um, I think that it just caused our immediate family, you know, to almost shatter. Mm -hmm. it, it, um, I feel like that was a time where things just really became very fragmented. Um, my, my younger brother, um, he had ADD, ADHD, um, severely, and they tried really hard to um, manage that through medication. 
Um, my father, you know, was dealing with drug addiction, um, you know, and, and um, just immersed in, in, in a world that was unstable with that. My mother was trying to keep things afloat to the best of her ability. Um, both my parents worked. Um, and so, but it was still just so unbalanced with drug use that, yeah. you know, you would see just the um, instability and inconsistencies financially mm -hmm. um, in the house. Um, my mother uh, was was dealing with her own trauma from childhood, severe trauma um, from her childhood, mm -hmm. severe, says, mm -hmm. um, that I as a child would not have been able to know or identify, you know, all I could see is behaviors. Yeah. Um, but I was looking to her to be the grown up, to mm -hmm. be, to, um, I was looking to her to protect me from things, to show me things, to um, to be stronger than what she was capable of being in that moment. Um, so I harbored a lot of anger as a child and resentment as a young girl towards my mother. I didn't want to be her. I didn't want to be like her because I didn't see her through the eyes of a grown woman. I seen her through the eyes of a child that felt like she was weak, not knowing mm -hmm. that what looked like weakness to me um, every day that she was able to wake up and go mm -hmm. and, and keep moving was uh, a facet of strength that and endurance and, and man, that <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. But I didn't see it. Um, so I started looking to my community. Now I'm saying these words as, a, as an adult woman reflecting back. I didn't know I was looking for community. I was looking for a place to belong. I was looking for people to love me, to see me, to, that I could identify with. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't find it in the, my peers in the church. Um, I wasn't able to find it in, um, in some of the cliques in school. Um, so I started looking for it in the people that I call the concrete in my community. Mm. I, I, first of all, thank you. Thank you for being here and allowing yourself to be transparent here. One of the things that you said that so strikes a chord with me and I think a lot of our listeners, especially I think our female listeners, well, I don't know, a lot of our listeners, is that, and someone told me this a long time ago, as children, we don't know our parents as adults. Right. So we can't even imagine, we only have this limited lens of them, right? Yeah. From a child's point of view. Yeah. And if they don't share their story with us, which a lot of parents don't, mm -hmm. they don't like, especially, mm -hmm. and you and I, were the same age, and we come from, we have generations past that come from a, I always talk about this, like there's, the, you know, the silent generation, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm yes. not going to tell you about what happened to me. Yes. Either it was too painful or we just don't talk about it. Right. And so we as children only judge our parents by what we know as children when we don't know their backstory. We fill in the blanks. Yeah. We yeah. color in the picture, Yeah, you know, when there's no one to, to give you that history. And, and I'm glad that you um, even recognize that and lifting it up because, to be very honest with you, part of my healing 
came from me learning and leaning into their story. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's key. Mm-hmm. I think that's key for a lot of familial relationships. If we can just know kind of the patterns of what happened or the things mm-hmm. that happened in the past. Yeah, it's painful, but it's so important for us to know. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. You're absolutely right. Is that healing can only come from us having those dialogue. But yeah. when you come from families and traditions where we don't talk about it, <laughs> right? how do you, you know, it's like how you have to reconcile it with yourself and move forward on your own and understand that you may not ever get those answers, right. but you have to reconcile it in the moment. You know, they are who they are. I'm sure they did the best they could and then move forward. Right. Yeah. Well, they, they did the best they could with what they knew how mm-hmm. um, in the time in which we were. Um, and, and one thing that I do, I, I realize that, one, knowledge and understanding, that doesn't necessarily, it doesn't excuse. It's not making an excuse for. Um, however, it does give you a broader lens um, it, and, and a bigger picture mm-hmm. um, in order to see things from that that trauma is like waves, yeah. you know? Hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. And so if I have trauma and I'm hurt, I'm going to hurt you. And it may not even be intentional. Right. However, there may, you know, there's still going to be because there's trauma, it's a wave, it's continuous. Until you stop and sit in that for a moment in order to stop the waves and calm and still mm. what is going on, you're going to keep moving in the same cycle and these same patterns of behavior. Yeah, yeah. Family, I think it was it's important for us to kind of hear Tony's backstory so that we can know why she is so passionate about the work that she does now. And again, I mm-hmm. thank you for uh, being so open and transparent. And I, I just got a text from uh, someone that's listening that said, thank you. Amen. And that they feel your pain and that Amen. they're praying for you. Amen. So we're going to take a quick break, family. When we come back, more with the amazing and fabulous Miss To. I started to call you Dr. McNeil. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Tony McNeil. We'll be right back after this. This is Full Circle. Like what you hear? Drop us a line at fullcircle975 at gmail.com. We're back, family. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. This is Full Circle. I'm your host, Miss Wanda. Having a conversation with my guest, <laughs> Tony McNeil. She is a community activist, organizer, and also she is the founder of Concrete. Tell me the name of your business, Tony. Concrete, Concrete Development. Development, yes. Concrete Development. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Before we went to the break, Miss Tony kind of gave us a little segue, an inadvertent segue to our next part of the conversation where you said, you know, you're talking about your younger years and mm-hmm. how you started gravitating towards the concrete mm-hmm. in your life. Mm-hmm. What does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the concrete. The concrete is the block. The concrete is is the community. You, I want you to imagine the youth, the teenagers, the adolescents that are outside and now we're just, we're trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. We're trying to figure it out while our parents is just going through, in our mind, crazy, right? Mm-hmm. They crazy in the house, and we're not getting answers. We don't know what to do, so we're outside trying to figure out how to grow up mm-hmm. together. 
we're trying to figure out life. We're just trying to live. We're trying to find pleasure. We're trying to find uh, relief for the pain and the mm-hmm. pressure. Um, we are trying to figure it out. Yeah. What what kind of things did you gravitate to uh, in during that period of your life? Or what are some of the experiences that you had during that time? Uh, yeah. So um, it was during a time when... Um, Drugs started like really hitting the community pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it was during a time when gangs, you know, the birth of gangs, right, was uh, uh, popping off and stuff. And so Stockton may be a little slower, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, just our evolving mm-hmm. um, into things that we're jumping off in, say, New York and SoCal and, and the Bay Area, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, you know, it was impacting us. And so um, in high school, what was interesting is I didn't really know a lot. I didn't see a lot of like gang activity um, that was taking place. It was just more so like I grew up in Crow Valley, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so so my folks was in Crow Valley. And in high school, you know, with Crow Valley, you have folks that went to Stag, you know, folks that went to Edison and folks that went to Franklin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you could already see like, you know, some kind of like um, um, little factions, you know, that that were that were arising and, and coming up. But because I was um, I was always just a neutral person, I was friends with everybody mm-hmm. to some degree. Um, sis, I was known to, like, you know, fight um, if I had to. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, yes. If you have to get these hands, you will. Okay. Yes. And so I was, I was known to fight. And so, but when I say friends, these were folks that, you know, um, I, I knew them, they knew me. And so... Um, it, it, it was just community. It, it was it was our little community. We'd get up. It would be super foggy. Um, you know, we'd be standing at the corner. I smoked my first joint, mm-hmm. you know, standing at the corner, right? Mm-hmm. I remember stealing some weed from my daddy. Sorry, daddy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know what to do with it, right? You know, so I had this little dime bag or what have you, you know, and and, and it was all sticky and stuff. And so I get to school. I'm in the bathroom, you know, with some of the homies. And I'm trying to, I done rolled a joint because this, you know, I'm trying to figure it out, right? Because it's what I done grew up around. Um, But I didn't know you were supposed to, you know, like pull it apart. So I done put all of the content from my little This stuff and so I'm trying to get it to to light and um, I'll never forget it. Uh, one of the hall monitors comes in the bathroom, right? And I don't, I don't, um, I'm then drew some in and so now I'm trying to hold my breath, right? Uh, while uh, she in there looking at us and I can't let the smoke out my mouth and she's just standing there looking at me. Uh-huh. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> You just you you we we learned some stuff. We experimented. Yeah. I I I experimented. Um, I had my first experiment and encounter with um, Sherm is what it was. Mm-hmm. You know, at that time as mm-hmm. a teenager, um, um, I remember being in the car uh, with some friends coming back from Tracy um, and and some other friends that were in a car and they were inebriated. They were drunk. Um, had an accident um, and went under a truck, you mm. know. Um, the 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 fear and the trauma, you know, associated with that. I was doing any and everything I could to not be home. Yeah. Because home, it was just too much going on in the house. So 
I, I was experimenting. Yeah. Because at this point, you don't have your protection at all. No. You don't no, have no. your grandfather. You don't have your grandmother at this point. Mm-mm. And so you're just out there kind of to fend for yourself. And the trip about it was is that so I wasn't a problemed child, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. my brother was ADD, ADHD. So he burning up cats, setting stuff on fire. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. He he was, yes, he was <laughs> he was the case study for <laughs> <laughs> I can laugh about it now, but but the not funny thing yeah. is my brother has been um, in, in, incarcerated or in the system most of his teenage and adult life. Mm. Um, so in that system. But no one was paying any attention to me. Yeah, yeah, because the focus was on him and trying to get him. And that's yes. what happens, right? Yes. When you have multiple children, whether they're your biological or whatever that you're caring for, the ones that have the, the negative influence or the ones that are always getting in trouble, everybody else. And actually, I'm going to say that was me. Like I was like the over here just kind of being myself in the cut. Mm-hmm. And then my other sibling was like, you know, in uh, just just being a, a, a team. You yes. Know? Yeah. And and so I, I was I was experimenting. I was searching. I was looking um, and I found myself. As I um, got midway through high school, gravitating towards older people, um, I didn't fit in with my peers. Mm. So now we're going to, you know, get to the ride or die, mm. the passenger side of the car. But before you get there, <laughs> I just want to—did you recognize the the difference in or? Because you weren't being ignored, but did you recognize that, like, cool, I'm kind of over here, can do my own thing, and they're not really going to trip because they're dealing with my brother? Like, did you recognize yes. that about your life? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I was fully aware that, that they didn't see me. Mm-hmm. I felt mm-hmm. I, I felt unseen. Um, I felt um, not valued. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt unimportant. I did not have anybody. Um, everything was centered on... My mother was deeply hurt in so much pain and very broken um, because of the abuse that she dealt with as a child, the abuse that she was dealing with as as an adult, Mm. as a wife, um, the mistreatment. My father um, was in and out, in and out, um, and there was an extremely unhealthy um, connection that he had to me, and I could feel that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, And so I was running also from that. Um, and so that every factor, I don't even know where, what was going on with my brother. So mm-hmm. by the time I hit, say, 15, 16 years old, mm-hmm. I can't tell you what was going on with, with my brother. I can't tell you what was going on with them. It was all about me and my little box world. I had my two best friends, Tina and Jerry, um, and we, we created a bond and a sisterhood, you know, and from 16, 17, and 18, it was the three of us. Mm. Um, we were the three musketeers, mm. you know. Um, and so I learned how to do everything, you know, that I was doing through those two relationships. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> this is just so, so good. And I just resonate with so much of your story. It's there, God doesn't make any mistakes, and there are no coincidences. So you're supposed to be here for a reason. And Miss Wanda, I could leave 
and they wouldn't know I was gone. Mm. Um, and I, when I say experimenting with Sherm, experimenting with cavies, mm-hmm. um, promiscuous, promiscuous, mm-hmm. promiscuous, um, leaving school with grown men, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. literally, right? They would pick me up at lunch and, um, and, and, and just rolling, you know? Um, so I got introduced to the game. I got introduced to the life. I had no covering, mm. no covering. And I was looking for somebody to love me and, 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 and protect me and keep me safe. And so I found uh, something that felt like that in the OG, mm. the one who was, who was, who was driving the car, yeah. and the one who was the shot caller. You know, I found a sense of, of that. And so I learned how to become a chameleon, to assimilate to my environments, to be what I needed to be for the person that I was with during the time that I was with that person. Mm-hmm. I learned how to be loyal. I learned how to how to be faithful. I learned how to be in spaces and be quiet, to observe, to look. Um, and I also learned how to become the covering and the protector um, for the folks that were vulnerable around. Yeah. yeah, picked up some skills. Yeah, wow. And just living that life at 16, 17, whatever age you were, and, and feeling like that's, okay, this is my, this is my, this is it. This is my safe space that I've been looking for. Did you feel like that? Like, it never felt like a fully safe space. Okay. So it was um, it, it was always like, um, I want you to just imagine like something that you could almost touch, but it was never really real. Mm. So it, it was it was always it was just always like so far, you know, out of reach, but but a hint of it. So and what I didn't realize is that those weren't safe spaces. I was being groomed. Mm. I was being molded. So, yeah, that's why I was I was being developed. I was raised, trained, cultivated, developed, and kept by the concrete. I didn't realize at 16 years old that 27 and 28-year-old men shouldn't be coming to pick me up from mm. school. I felt like they wanted me, they valued me, they loved me. I didn't know that I was being cultivated, developed. I didn't know that it was a grooming process that was taking place. Yeah, because all you know is that where you weren't being seen in one arena, now you are being seen and the fact that it's an older person an older man too that's even more like oh okay yeah you know i'm the ish right right and so what parents then wouldn't know about is the times that i was raped what they wouldn't know about are the times that their daughter was beat what they wouldn't know about are the hard life lessons that their daughter was learning Mm -hmm. um from the concrete were you still living at home at this yes. point? So all of this is going on. While I'm living at home. I lived at home until I was 19. 
Um, and at 19 um, is when I left um, and actually, well, left home with one of the biggest drug dealers <laughs> in the city. Um, and it was on and popping from there. And you were 19, and how old was he? Um, he was only a, I was 19, I was 18 when, I was 17 when I met him, 18, 19, so I think that he's, he was, uh, I think like 25. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't seem or feel, like I said, it didn't seem or feel like these people were much older than me. Yeah. At 17 years old, I was in, I was in summer school, um, and I was involved with a man 10 years younger than my father. Hmm. I didn't realize that I didn't know what was happening then, you know, and so and I'm not saying these things and speaking these these things from a detached place. I've had to sit in this. Yeah. Um, and so I, I pulled this up. I wanted to share this intentionally. OK, um, it's a queen status that um, that I shared. Um, it says, don't be afraid to sit with yourself, sit with your rejected self, mm-hmm. the little girl, the adolescent and the woman. Allow her to feel. Weep for her. Grieve with her. And most importantly, acknowledge her pain. For to ignore trauma doesn't mean it has gone away. And believe me, others can see it, sense it, and feel it. And remember, hurt people hurt people. That is so powerful. And so many nuggets within that. What would you say to someone right now that's listening that may find themselves in some type of situation that don't they don't know how to make that take that first step because what was the thing that was the catalyst for you to go wait a minute something's not right here or I I have to get out of this life and the way I'm doing things so the first thing that I have to say is that I I wasn't acknowledging my pain Mm. um and I wasn't acknowledging where it was coming from internally nor externally. I was, I felt always to blame for, um, for abuse, for explosive behaviors, for, because I grew up in abusive, I grew up in an abusive household. I grew up in trauma, but I'd never realized that I didn't know how to I didn't know how to touch that pain. Mm-hmm. I was running from something that was in me the whole time, and I was running away from the very thing that was inside me. Mm. Um, so what I had to do is, is at some point, because I had I tried to attempt suicide a couple of times as a teenager, mm-hmm. um, but still these were, I, I didn't want to die. Yeah, you were just I wanted attention. Yeah. I wanted attention. I wanted somebody to see me. I wanted my mm. parents. Ah to see me I wanted them to see me but they couldn't see me because they were crashing and drowning in their own pain and trauma I wanted somebody to see me I wanted somebody to love me I wanted somebody to protect me I wanted my granddaddy so I finally at some point really got to where I wanted to die um, 
when I came out of concrete after four children now, um, lots of abuse and abusive relationships, um, I finally, at this point, I married and, and thinking, okay, this is it, you know. If I love, that was the other thing. If I love him enough, he'll love me. Mm -hmm. If I can just show him and prove to him how much I love him, then he'll love me back. If I if I can just forgive him and, and, and forgive whoever it is that is offending me, hurting me, wounding me, um, that, that they'll see how much I love them through through my actions, through through these deeds, through these things. It was still me trying to trying to manipulate someone into Loving you. Loving me. Seeing me. Accepting me. And so um, I hit my rock bottom. It was sitting on the floor in the bathroom. My children were at school. My, at that time, husband was at work. Um, he did not love me. Um, he didn't know how. We were both broken. Trauma, met trauma, married trauma. Um, and it was toxic. It's like the mixing. I was just going through a training. If you take two different drugs and mix them together, it becomes toxic, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, um, just imagine that trauma and my trauma and trying to come together, it mixed and came, became toxic. Mm. And so I decided that I really didn't want to live anymore. I decided that I was going to church, and I decided that... No matter how much I tried to do it the Bible way, no matter how much I tried to, to, to be a Proverbs 31 woman, no matter how much I tried to do what these people in church were telling me to do, because then they broke in, mm -hmm. and nobody walked out of their stuff. Right. They don't know no better. Oh, just don't do that again to make him angry. Well, how are you? Well, just, just pray for him. Anoint his pillow. Pray for him in the middle of the night. Sis, I'm not taking power away from prayer. I'm just telling you, these are formulas and prescriptions that people are giving me while you getting broke off, beat down, right. cussed out. And, um, you know, and living mm -hmm. with someone who is not coming home at night or what have you. And you're telling me, uh, giving me a prescription and a formula for something that you've not really seen the effect of walking out. Yeah. So I'm surrounded by people that don't know how to tell me to live a better and a different life. Mm -hmm. And I am like, none of this is working. God, I can't continue on this way. My children deserve better and I have nothing better to give them. I can't do it anymore and I sit on that bathroom floor and I had every prescription pill, everything that I could get my hands on in the house laid out before me. I was ready. This was not my cry for help. Nobody knew. I didn't send a note. I wasn't talking to nobody since this was not a cry for help. Yeah. And in that bathroom on that floor, I kid you not, I felt and heard the Lord say, stop. He didn't tell me nothing else, just stop. And I just sat there and I broke. And from there it was like, I have to do something different. Something has to give. And so I got out. I, I left. I took my children, um, my four babies. My son was not even one. And and I took, uh, we had, I took milk, the kids. I called one trusted minister, asked them to pick me up. 
they dropped me off at a corner with the kids and I went into a shelter and became homeless um, and went into a safe house with the kids. Ooh. And that was the beginning of a new life for me. That was the beginning of a new fork in the road. We're going to take a break. Mm -hmm. Because this is just, I want you guys to just sit with the power of, of Tony's testimony. And the fact that she's sitting here today, you know, on this, still on this road to healing and recovery, mm -hmm. but she's here to share her story with you. You guys hear me say it all the time. There's someone else on the side, there's someone on the other side of your story. Your story is not for you. Mm -hmm. And there's somebody listening right now that may be going through circumstances that I can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. But I'm hoping that you hear this or you share this with that person so that they can know that it is possible to, to walk through, to get through that. So we're gonna take a break, family. We'll be right back. This is Full Circle. Like and share our Facebook page at Full Circle 97.5. I hope you are enjoying the program as much as I am having a conversation with my guest, Tony McNeil. She is a community organizer. She is also the founder of Concrete Development LLC. Back to conversation with Tony McNeil. Family, this has been a heavy conversation this morning, but I think it's really needed. And I think to hearing Miss Tony's backstory really can show you why she's so passionate about the work that she does. You talked about how your brother has been in the system mm -hmm. for most of his teens and, and, and adulthood, mm -hmm. you know, so I know you do a lot with disrupting the prison to the, the uh, school to prison mm -hmm. pipeline, mm -hmm. the prison industrial complex. You have seen so much out on the concrete, mm -hmm. which now tells us why the name of your LLC is that you've seen so much and so you fight so hard for others because of the experiences that you've gone through mm -hmm. talk about the work that you do um, in your community organizing and, and all of the things that you're doing in the world um, so with the community organizing we um, the focus is to equip individuals with the tools in order for them to be able to advocate for themselves and their rights um, and so I do faith-based community organizing with an organization, um, Faith in the Valley, and we're spread throughout the Central Valley. Um, let's see, I, well, I hate that I say um so much, but. <laughs> it's all good, it's all good. Uh, my focus is primarily restorative justice work. I, I've done organizing and do organizing still surrounding housing, housing instability, housing mm -hmm. injustice, um, all of those things, however, um, my passion lies with those that are are in the concrete, those that are in the communities that are most marginalized, sis, that that we don't want to see. We don't want to talk to these individuals, you know, or 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 we want to um we want to bring them in, you know, in order to check off a box that we did. Uh, but we're really not comfortable. Uh, we concrete development our our motto is that you haven't dug deep enough until you hit the concrete mm. if you're if you're saying that you are out there boots on the ground organizing really equipping people to empower them with their voice to speak up and advocate for things that they should have for systems to say they work but they don't mm -hmm. um you have not hit it you've not reached it you haven't talked to nobody of importance until you hit concrete 
Yeah. And I like that you talk about having boots on the ground because you're right. So many people and organizations and things serve on a very surface level. Mm -hmm. Let's do this thing, right? And it's so interesting. Um, I was just watching uh, a KPIX had a special about how they're trying to clean up the tenderloin. Mm -hmm. And so one of the people on there was like, yeah, they can come and they come and they clean off the trash every day. They have the people power wash the sidewalks down but then it comes back, but then the people come back. Like it's only temporary. Mm -hmm. And so they were saying, what are you, you know, questioning like Mayor Breed and all them, like what are you going to do to really make this a lasting change? Yeah, this is right now, it's cosmetic. You shoo people off the streets, you clean it up, you power wash it down. It's pretty for about an hour. People come back. But it, that's not the thing that th- that is needed in order to make change. People need real change. People need real services. You know, yes, they do. and so, yeah, I love how you're, you know, that that saying of until you've really dug down and looked at the root, mm-hmm. we it, the, it'll just be cyclical. Right. It, yeah. it is. And I I see, you know, we we have officials that are in place and um, and, and it's not not even to hold blame trying to understand in this organizing field that I'm in it's 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 been a real tumultuous uh time for me because I'm trying to understand understand why we have resources that that come you know from the federal government to the state mm-hmm. um from the state into the cities um and the counties and however but they never hit the concrete you know um and 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 just uh, and and I am I'm a, I'm a name drop a few um and I, if I don't name other organizations it's not because mm-hmm. I don't see you or remember you it's just that um right now I'm using these individuals as examples you know um, there's a gentleman um, in the uh, city of Stockton. His name is Damar Johnson. Damar is amazing. Mm-hmm. That young man is fire, um, and he he uh, has a um, he has a, a organization that he um, that he does. It's a program. Um, it's called Balloons Over Bullets, right? Mm. And they go into the community um, and they they have water balloon fights with youth, especially when there's tension in the community, sis. So when, when there's trauma and tension, so say there was a shooting that just kept popped off in the neighborhood, you don't see the city's, uh, the systems coming in there after you've come in with the tape and taped everything off after mm-hmm. you've gone and knocked on the doors and asked everybody the questions and stuff and removed the bodies. And now these babies got to go back to school and mm-hmm. the parents is traumatized and broken hearted and devastated. And the neighborhood is tense and, and, and there's still tension and, you know, that's going on in the communities because you've got rival stuff that's yeah. going off in there and stuff. And then Damar and some of the OGs go into the community and get in the middle of the street and have water balloon fights with the babies to relieve some of the pressure. They bring in, um, they set up different tents and stuff, you know, to have like resources that they're giving out to the communities and stuff. They go in and literally meet the needs of those people that are in the community. They see the children. They see the community, you know, and it's stuff like that. It's organizations. There's a a gentleman named um, organization um, called Legacy Alliance. And so they do um, they do a whole lot of work. But watch, this is an individual that served an insurmountable amount of time. Right. Life sentence came home, started doing organizing, organizing his own consulting business, his own nonprofit organization, but didn't stop in the middle, but went and started digging deep. Right. And now 
out individuals that get out he's offering and putting them to work they're literally working and uh, with homeless and feeding them and providing resources for them showing up where the need is creating the avenues and, and lanes and segue they will reach out if somebody is dealing with domestic violence and they reach out they look for solutions on the ground and connect them with resources wherever it is that they are yeah. I'm trying to figure out where are these other the middleman? Mm -hmm. Why are the resources getting stuck in the city? Yeah. Why the county got so much money mm -hmm. that and checking off boxes saying that it's getting to a Damar for balloons over bullets? Damar ain't getting no money from the county. Mm. Damar ain't getting no money from the city. Um, you have to go through all of these things in order to. But you're the ones that's out there touching the lives of these babies, digging deep until you hit the concrete. Yeah, that's that's what I mean in my heart when I say you haven't dug deep enough until you hit the concrete. Our people fall through the cracks. And so me, I'm advocating and then working with others to help them advocate to ensure our folks don't fall through the cracks. I fell through the cracks. I had to find my own way. A lot of sisters can't find their own way. Right, right. God sent resources for me, sent people and angels to help me make it through. But a lot of people, you ask the question, what would I say to somebody that that is going through how to get out, man, um, I don't have a step-by-step, blow-by-blow. Yeah, I can tell you my story, I can tell you what I went through, but the system isn't designed for us to get out. Yeah. This system in our society is not designed for us to get out. And they make money on us staying in abuse, staying in trauma, staying broken, staying in prison, staying in jail, staying in the hospital, killing each other. They make money off of that. Mm -hmm. That makes me angry. Me yeah. struck a nerve. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good nerve, though. It's Ooh. a good nerve because it's like it, it, I think people don't really recognize that and they don't see that that's that's the big picture. Mm -hmm. Right. That's the big picture is that we're going to throw you this crumb. That part. And it's really just to keep you distracted and, and stayed in this because we don't want to see you go past and, and, and to succeed and excel. And I'm trying to figure out in, in organizing and advocate for those resources that are coming down from our federal government and our state to get into the hands of the individuals of like those that I just named mm -hmm. that are literally on the ground doing the work. Yeah. Because it's stuck in red, red tape. Yes. It's stuck in organizations that can write a nice proposal and say, oh, we can do this, but the money doesn't really, or their programs are, again, those are surface programs. Yes. Oh, well, you know, we had, you know, four black kids in our computer lab today, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But but what what are you doing to change the dialogue, the behavior, the situation, Right, mm, right. And so, yeah, you're right. It's like that money and those resources have to. But how do you propose? I mean, like, how do we make that happen? We we have to learn how the system works. Um, when it, And when I say the system now, I'm talking how our governing system works. Mm -hmm. So we need to have a broader understanding of civic engagement. Um, we need to understand. So we are well versed on the politics on the street. Mm -hmm. Now, that same politicking takes place in our local government, 
Mm-hmm. And we need to lean in to find out where that power is, visible and invisible power. Um, we have to, to, to bridge. Um, that's intentional. And so know how to go into spaces um, and to speak the language. You don't sell out. You bridge. You develop relationship. You build relationships. Trauma begets trauma. So realize that everyone isn't the enemy that is in those spaces. And in most cases, elected officials have gone in in order to attempt to make change and found out that it was a system that was so corrupt mm-hmm. um, that, that, that they, they hit walls. Um, well, the community actually needs to be the fire, the power, the breath that is pushing those walls down. So we've got to come in and make noise, you know, in, mm-hmm. in a real transformative way. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Getting involved civically. Yes. Voting. Mm-hmm. Voting with understanding. It's yes, not just yes. voting, but voting with understanding and voting relationally as well. Mm-hmm. I don't just now vote for me. Mm-hmm. When I look at the ballot, because I can stop at what I care about. Yeah. I need to vote now with what my brother cares about. I need to vote for those. I ain't never been locked up. Mm-hmm. I have never been in prison. However, I know many kings that have. I need to vote for those kings that have been in prison. And then I want to inform them as well on what it is that what does this vote mean in order for them to make their own informed decision and choice. Some people may not want to vote for a person. Mm-hmm. Vote for a policy. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, you know, vote for that thing. I, I don't drive Uber and stuff, but I needed. I know folks that do. Mm-hmm. So I talked to people that did drive Uber um, and Lyft in order to find out how that ballot issue mm-hmm. was going to impact them. Mm-hmm. Um, that was on our last ballot during the last election. Yeah, yeah. You also facilitate, or the were the originator and facilitator of anti-black conversations because yeah. that kind of, to me that kind of goes hand in hand yes it does talk about that anti-black conversations was a space that eh, that was designed or developed or birthed i should say um during after i should say uh the protesting and demonstrating um surrounding the murder of george floyd um I realized that there were a lot of individuals uh, that were coming to me, black, white, Latino, it didn't matter, and they they wanted to get involved, they wanted to do the work. Um, And so, however, I also realized that there was a lot of tension in the black community. It's always been there. So anti-black conversation, it was a space, it is a space where we can have transformative conversation with one another, much like what we're having today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is, and, but we talk about specific issues. So I just bring individuals in. Um, some could have a PhD um, that they earned from college and some can have a PhD that they earned from the block. Mm-hmm. Um, but I bring them in in a space and we talk about anti-blackness per, as it pertains to that issue. For example, anti-blackness in the church. What you mean, Tony? Ain't no anti-blackness. Elder, what you talking about? A- anti-blackness in the, yes, there is anti-blackness in the church. So we have a conversation mm-hmm. about how the black church is following a trajectory that is uh, rooted in ev- from the evan- evangelical church and how we're trying to build our base and build our numbers in the church 
in within a black within a black community using you know some of the structures that you see i mean how do you go saddleback is a white church mm-hmm. you know saddleback mm-hmm. saddleback is yeah rick warren it's a rick warren white church but we're going to use his model right in order to build our church in the block mm-hmm. on the hood mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. so how then is anti-blackness interwoven in that mm-hmm. how do we see anti-blackness um, in the history of religion, in the history of the church, it's having those kind of uncomfortable, courageous conversations with one another. We're not saying Jesus is not real. We're not saying that that Christianity is no. We're not saying it, but we do need to talk about. We need to talk about the fact that the slave owners that on the plantations brought, you know. Um, the priest or the pastor in to baptize the slaves into submission and how does that translate you know for black folks in Mm -hmm. the community that's anti-blackness in the church and we need to look at it talk Mm. about it and 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 explore it we gotta have these conversations otherwise we're not going to heal we're not even talking about it Man, I I have an umbrella family from all the the nuggets that Miss Tony <laughs> is dropping today. Just oh man, just fantastic conversation. You talk about that. You are you know for restorative justice. You are really out there, boots on the ground, helping get the work done. We're gonna take a break. When we come back, I want to wrap up your story. Mm-hmm. When we left you, you were just picking yourself up from being in the bathroom, picking up your kids, you became homeless. And now I want to kind of wrap that up Mm -hmm. and again, wrap up what we're, you know, the conversation as a whole. Mm -hmm. Family, don't go anywhere. It's full circle. We'll be right back. Empowerment through conversation that starts with you. Tell us what topics you want to hear. Drop us a line at fullcircle975 at gmail.com. Family, if y'all wasn't feeling that, let us see. I, there's something about hearing that song in this moment, knowing that it's going to be all right. Oh, mm-hmm. man. that. Ooh. All right. Welcome back. <laughs> Get myself together. <laughs> It's a whole lot going on in my head right now. But welcome back, family. This is Full Circle. Thank you so much for staying with the program. I have thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with today's guest, Tony McNeil, community organizer and founder of Concrete Development, LLC. Just talking, just, you know, having this conversation, this life conversation. It's so it's so interesting how God makes things work and brings people into your life. And I'm telling you, as I'm listening to her story, I know she's probably like, why is she waving her hands like she is in church right now? Because I just so resonate with so much of her story. And we're talking at the break, like I feel like a lot of women in our age group have you know a lot of similar Mm -hmm. background story with some of the things that we grew up and things like that and so again family if you missed any part of this conversation make sure that you subscribe to Miss Wanda's Full Circle Radio podcast so you can hear this episode when it drops on Tuesday I want to go back Tony to your you know we when we left you before the previous break Mm -hmm. you were you had had enough. You were on the verge. This was your rock bottom. And you heard the Lord say, stop. Mm-hmm. And then you grabbed your children and you left the marriage, the situation that you were in. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the road to being where you are now. Mm-hmm. Um, I call it my fork in the road. Um, 
I didn't know how to get out. I didn't know how to change. I didn't have anyone in my environment. Um, it, I was dealing with generational cycles of abuse, and um, and I didn't know how to get out. And so I ran. I ran, and it was the scariest thing I've ever done in my life mm -hmm. um, because I did not know what my future was going to look like. I didn't know what was going to happen, um, and it was the beginning. It, it was the beginning for me. Um, God just sent help. He sent He sent help um, in my life in many, many different ways, and so... Um, you know, we started over. We got a new place. You know, I started going to school. Um, I, I I was trying to learn how to be stable. I was trying to learn how to be what my children needed me to be. Um, but I also was trying to break out and break free of a, of a cycle and patterns of things that I had no way. So I, I needed to go to school. I learned some things. Mm -hmm. um, and there were in the process know that in the road to recovery in healing that healers don't focus on the person that abused you they focus on the person that's being abused so i had to learn how to see me mm -hmm. and take ownership of my own actions my own thoughts my own behaviors sis i'm still learning how to do that this mm -hmm. week has been a traumatizing you know look at yourself see yourself tony week mm -hmm. um but i had to i had to learn how to see myself as an enabler as someone who was codependent i needed to understand those terms and know how they applied to my life yeah. i needed to understand the history that um, I was immersed in with my family. I needed to see my mother as not a weak person. I needed to understand the trauma that she was walking in mm. um, and, and, and have a broader and a better understanding because otherwise I'm going to become the person that I resent. I'm going to be the person that I'm bitter with and I'm angry yeah. with. I'm gonna mm. exude that subconsciously yeah I'm gonna do it mm -hmm. um, so I needed to in order to unlearn behaviors I needed to understand the behaviors um, and that gave me a broader perspective and lands on some of our history you know um, um, from slavery and different things so um, but I also I also needed to learn how to become a mother I needed to learn how to love my children I needed to learn how not to resent them and the fact that mm -hmm. I, 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 because I was bitter. I was bitter with the children. I was bitter with their fathers. I had three, four children, three baby daddies. Mm -hmm. um, I was bitter and angry about that. I was, it, it overall, sis, the short of it, oh, sister girl was very bitter and angry with herself. Mm. I was so disappointed in me. I was disappointed in me and showed myself no grace, no love, no mercy. And it was hard for me to receive God's grace his forgiveness, his love, his mercy. It was hard for me to receive what he was giving me because I wasn't giving it or, or in extending it to myself. Mm -hmm. So there's this whole reciprocity, you know, that's taking place. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it took some years. It took some years, you know, when I got out of domestic violence and out of abuse physically, I still had to unlearn um, how to not be abused in, in, in psychologically yeah. and emotionally. I had to learn how to not be abused um, and operate from codependency and enabling in ministry um, and in the workforce, you know, or what have you. I had to learn, unlearn stuff and not 
villainize the people that I conditioned to <laughs> to, yeah. to, to to abuse you to abuse me. Yeah, because I'm teaching you how to be my abuser. Right. Yeah. Right. Because it's what I'm expecting. It's mm-hmm. what I'm conditioned to do. So, so it, it's been a huge um, growth. It's been a lot of I need it's learning me. You know. Simple things. Tony, what, what color do you really like? Mm. As opposed to, uh, I like red because, you know, I'm kicking it with a blood this time. Mm-hmm. And now I like blue because, mm-hmm. you know, oh, this this flavor of the month is, you yeah. know, the crip you're hanging with. Right, and, right. You know, no, no, no. What color do you like, Tony? You mm-hmm. know, what's your favorite season? What's your favorite food? Not the foods that you cook for people in order to please them. But how do you please yourself? And that meant that God put me in a season of pause no relationships. Mm-hmm. The only relationships that I had was a relationship with me and my children. Um, I needed to learn how to be a covering, and that was important to me. Yeah. I wanted to provide a covering and an umbrella for my children to be able to, to, to be free of abuse, sexual assault, molestation, incest, um, you know, verbal abuse, all these different things. And I'm not saying it was perfect yeah. at all, mm-hmm. um, but I needed to, I wanted, it was important to me to create that. And even if we were homeless, I needed to help them to know that I was home, you know, Mm. that when we found each other, that we connect together, we're home. Home is, is, is not that I, in the movies, when you see the kids that grew up in the house and they come back for Christmas every time, you know, to that one house and, and stuff, you know, no family stone. That's one of my favorite movies. Mm -hmm. Right. And, Mm -hmm. And they come there and they have the pictures and stuff on the wall and everything. See, I, I, I couldn't offer that to my children. Yeah. I didn't have the stability for that. And I needed them to know that it doesn't matter um, because as long as you get to me, as long That's as we home. can get to each other, we're home. So so it, it, it's, been, it, it's been a lot of digging and climbing and learning. Um, I had to learn how to find people, sit with elders sit with women that are seasoned and allow them to pour into me, to speak life to me, to say, no, baby, don't do that. Um, I'll never forget Mother Edna Fisher. She's still alive today. I love her so much. This woman, the seasoned woman said, baby, don't, don't, don't fuss at your children like that. Those are your treasures. Those are your jewels. God picked those stars out of the heavens and gave them to you. I'll never forget that. And from that day forward, I begin to see the value and the beauty and the uniqueness in each one of my four treasures. I, I just, yeah, it's, it's been learning and I never stop learning. I read, I, I research. Um, if I hear a term that applies to me, I Google it, look it up, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. and then find out and how does it apply to me? Mm-hmm. A best friend, a dear friend of mine just said that um, they seek to um, be understanding and not understood. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to learn how does that apply. It resonated with me, and I need to know how. How do I walk into a space without being biased with my preconceived opinion and notions that are rooted in my historical trauma? Mm -hmm. How can I see you outside of the scope? of my trauma and my past. Mm. So if I look at you, sis, and you look like somebody that hurt me 
and you talk like somebody that hurt me and offended me, I need to make sure that before I speak, I've got to take a break and make sure that I'm not speaking from a triggered place of trauma. Mm-hmm. And, and if I stumble, I may have to step back, you know, and, and reflect, come back, repent, apologize, make amends, be the example that, that I need, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Forgive. Forgive. And forgive some more. Yeah. I, it's interesting that you mentioned that word forgive. So I was um, talking to my therapist. She had given me some forgiveness exercises. And I was telling her the other day, I said, you know, I went through these exercises and I didn't feel like they applied mm-hmm. to, you know, I was trying to make people fit into these boxes of I need to forgive this person and that person. And at the end of the day, I said, I realized I'm I've forgiven those people, and that's why the exercise was so hard for me, but it also was so hard for me because the one person that I hadn't forgiven to this day was me. That part. That part. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Now, and that that right there is where I always come full circle back around to, mm-hmm. that in every every fork in the road, because there are multiple forks in the road, the opportunities, that every time I hit a roadblock or a wall, you know, um, and I feel like the wind got knocked out of me. And I, I, I have to reset and I have to, I've got to show myself mercy and grace mm-hmm. and compassion. And then I need to forgive myself. I, I'm not the same person that I was. And sometimes when I get into a place where I need to make a choice or a decision, that's new and fresh, you know, I get scared because I don't know if I can trust the 53-year-old Tony to not make a 25-year-old decision. Mm. That's good. But Tony, you're not that 25-year-old young lady. You're 53, and so you've got to trust yourself. Trust yourself. To, to make a decision, trust yourself to move forward, and then forgive yourself if you mess up and get back up and keep it moving. So I, I tell myself every day, keep moving forward one day at a time. And if one day at a time is too much, then I say, okay, one step at a time. Yeah. Hmm. What's the biggest lesson you've learned in these 53 years? Or one of the biggest? Hmm. Yeah, that, that I am a really strong, loving, amazing person. That I'm gifted and talented This morning, God, and I didn't know where it was coming from. This morning, as I was getting ready, actually, to leave and come here, I I heard God just, you know, speaking something to me. And I didn't know whether to share it or write it down or what. You know, you hear people say the term, singers are a dime a dozen. What I heard in my spirit is women are a dime a dozen. We're all, it's many of us. 
But Tony, you're one in a million. Hmm. And it wasn't just for me. It's for all women. Yeah, we look at each other and we see ourselves as as a commodity that's not scarce, as, you know, because there's so many of us and we contend with one another and um, we compete, you know, with each other and, and, and it's from a place of scarcity in most cases. And, and what God was trying to help me to see and, and, and for me and myself, but not just for me, but as others, my queen status for the day would be when you are made to believe in this society that you are a dime a dozen that you have to remember that you are one in a million. There are millions of women, and each one of those women, you are one in a million. You are rare, you are a commodity, you are, you are awesome, you're a treasure. Nobody is like you. Nobody can compare to you. So it may be, we may be a dime a dozen when it comes to, you know, but we are one in a million individually. Mm-hmm. And there is somebody out there that is looking for that one. Mm. That's good. That, that, was, that was good. That's so good. So don't settle. Don't settle like you are, you know, a dime a dozen. Act like you're one in a million. I love that. Thank you, Tony. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Ah, for dropping so many good just nuggets of nuggetness. I don't even just just some good stuff, some really good wisdom and sharing your story and appreciate you so much. Amen. I want to go I I have two more things I want to mm-hmm. ask. Mm-hmm. Your relationships. Mhm. <laughs> How is the relationship now with your parents Mm. and with your children? My relationship, let's start with my children. My relationship with my children is awesome. Um. (laughs) Seeing the smile on your face and light up when you talk (laughs) about your children. That's beautiful. Uh, Because I'm unworthy of the love and the respect and the honor that they have for me, um, the way that they entreat me. I'm, I'm, I have no words, so beyond blessed, all four of my children. And so I would, I'm so proud of my children and their failures and mistakes and their overcomings, the fact that they get up every day and continue to breathe and keep trying that's that's all that I could ever imagine. Just keep trying. Just keep trying. You'll get it right. You know, don't ever give up. You'll get it right. So I I I love my children and I am so blessed. Um my mother and I, we are healing. God is healing and and doing a lot of reparative and restorative work in the relationship with my mother and I. Um and that's uh, that's just rooted in years of prayer um, for from her. She she has prayed fiercely and ferociously for God to heal, and and I believe that He is doing it. And that's uh, me saying that is a lot 
because I'm saying it from a posturing of knowing that maybe a year ago, um, I was just okay with not having a relationship with my mother. Mm. So he's, um, God is repairing that and healing that. And, and I'm just trusting him and taking my hands off of the wheel of control and surrendering to what his will is, knowing that God has got me and mm. that he, he is my covering. Um, my father, oh my God, that is a whole story. Um, when I say that God can repair, that God can remake, there isn't anything that God cannot do. My father is not the man that I grew up with. My father has morphed into my granddaddy in my life. My father, I'm spoiled. I am a daddy's girl. Um, God, I love him so much. Do you feel covered by him? I feel covered. Um, and I knew that I felt covered when I walked into a church space, extremely vulnerable one day, mm -hmm. and I went and I sat as close as I could to my daddy with my grown-up self, and I felt safe. So, <sighs> yeah, from the man that made me feel unsafe, now my daddy makes me feel safe. And I want to say this, that... What did he do? He repented to me. The words that he, he used to say, words are powerful. And my father would speak some words out that were very, very uh, damning. And what my father did is, in over years, spoke life over me, patiently, after repenting, said, you are a good mother, you are a good woman, you are a beautiful woman. You are a good daughter. I'm proud of you. Oh my God. Those were restorative words that literally overwrote my hard drive mm. that said I wasn't gonna be nothing but a bitch on the street, laid up, pregnant, having a bunch of babies by a bunch of different men. Mm. I was walking out words that were said once out of hurt and trauma and then he changed his language and spoke words over me and rewrote the path that, that I was on. Mm. That, we could do a whole nother hour about that, about how we speak over ourselves and our children and our lives. And it's just so, warming and wonderful to hear how your dad's life changed and through his change in action he changed the whole trajectory of yes. your life in the family and my brother's life and my children's life and even my mother is beginning to heal because he recognized that he didn't know any better mm -hmm. but as God began to reveal to him he began to change our lives on his knees. Mm. He couldn't do it with his hand. He could not repair what he broke. He broke our lives in his brokenness. And he restored and repaired those cracks on his knees. He stays on his knees. 
I know my daddy is praying for me always. Mm. That is so powerful. And that is where we're going to leave it, family. (laughs) The power of prayer and the power of words. Mm. Those two things combined together can change a whole life. Yes. Can change a whole life. Yes. Tony, thank you again for being here, for allowing yourself to be vulnerable, for sharing with our audience. Like I've said on the break and said on the air, I know someone's life has changed, even if it's just mine. Thank you for sharing your story. Family, that's how we're doing it today. This is Full Circle. Family, thank you so much. appreciate you joining us for this conversation today. April's coming. April's coming, and that means Full Circle's turning four years old, so be on the lookout for what's happening. Uh, Until next week, I'm just so like, there's so much going on in my head right now, and I hope that this conversation really helped you in whatever way you needed it to. There are no coincidences, and God doesn't make mistakes. So if you're listening to this now or at the podcast, know that this is supposed to be something that you're supposed to hear for whatever reason. May it touch your life in whatever way it needs to. And I appreciate you listening. Show love to everyone you meet, fam. I'll see you next week. Peace. This has been Full Circle. Follow our Facebook page at Full Circle 97.5.